Dear church family, this morning our call to worship comes from Psalm 118, verses 24 through 26. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Let's turn now to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 14. We're going to read verses 23 through 27. This morning I hope to begin a a short series on Jonah. Um, Approximately five five, uh, sermons. This will be the introductory sermon, and God willing, we'll pick up in the book of Jonah in the weeks to come. So this is the only other reference we have to the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. Our Lord Jesus makes multiple references to uh, Jonah, uh, to his being in the, the fish's belly for three days, um, to the call that he brought to Nineveh to repent. But here's a, a one instance, one other instance of a reference to the prophet. So beginning at verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, this is the second Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Now he restored the coast of Israel from the entering in of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Lord said, not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And now we'll turn to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish, And so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. And so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is come up, is upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, and so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. And wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. And so they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging then the, men, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So far the reading of God's Holy Word. Dear church family, over the past year, we've been considering several of the names of God. We began back in January, the beginning of January, looking at them from, exploring them from the book of Genesis. Now we noted that these names were never given to us just to fill our minds about, with a knowledge about God. But they were given to us so that we might know him, have a, have a relationship with him, to know that there is a way back to him. And so in, as we've considered these names, we 
The, the question that we were confronted with again and again was, how will we respond to them? And our response is important. And it, the response is going to fall into, broadly speaking, one of two camps. Either we're going to respond with doubt and unbelief, essentially saying that this isn't true, He's not worthy, this God is not worthy to be trusted. Or we respond in faith and obedience, taking him at his word, believing that what he says about himself is real and true. But even then, the people of God can at times minimize certain aspects of the character of God as he's revealed himself to us, elevate other aspects, and and minimize or elevate some of the implications of these truths in their lives. Maybe true, living out true and thankful for, for certain applications or implications for our lives. But at other times, we, we consider the what these names call us to. And we may find them challenging, difficult, and maybe at times hard to implement into our our daily lives. We don't deny the truth, per se, that comes from this name or the attribute or the character of our God, but yet we find ourselves minimizing the consequences of those, the truths. And maybe it leads to action that is in direct opposition to the very word of God, to the character of God. But maybe you say, well, how, how is that possible? What, what, is, what do you mean? What does this look like? Well, as we come to this introductory sermon uh, to a, a short series on the book of Jonah, we hope to see that Jonah, who the chronicler in Second Kings refers to as a servant of the Lord, a prophet, we want to see that Jonah knew and understood that the Lord was a gracious God, a compassionate God, one who was slow to anger, one who was worthy to be served. He understood and knew that he was the recipient of the Lord revealing himself to him to be that kind of God for helpless sinners who are in desperate need of help. He understood and knew that God was intimately aware of what was going on in the lives of every single human being. But not only was God aware, but God was sending his servant into the lives of these people, calling them to repent, to turn from sin, promising to be a God to them, to be so that they would be his people. And as God reveals himself to sinners in their need, he calls them to trust him, he calls them to confess their sins to, and to then live whole, wholly committed lives of service for him. 
heeding his call to do what he calls us to do, heeding his call to go where he calls us to go. Now we hope to consider this from our two passages that we read, and we're going to focus on verses 25 through 27 of 2 Kings 14, and the first two verses and the first part of verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1. I'm not going to read any particular verse at this point. Our theme this morning is the caring and compassionate God of Jonah. A God who sees, a God who sends, and a God who speaks into the lives of his people. The prophet Jonah is actually a relatively obscure prophet. It's a book that's well known, the the prophecy of Jonah. Children, I'm sure it's a book that you're familiar with. The story is intriguing. It's one that grabs our attention. But Jonah himself, we know very little about. What we do know is that he prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel, as we see from 2 Kings chapter 14. And he was called to proclaim, to to prophesy a, a word of judgment to the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. He was a contemporary, children, that means he he worked alongside Hosea and Amos, who also prophesied to the northern tribes. And 2 Kings 14 tells us that he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, which Jeroboam, if you know your kings of, of Israel, Jeroboam II was one of the last kings towards the end of the kingdom, the northern kingdom. We actually read very little about Jeroboam II. The the verses we read and and the following two verses of chapter 14 give us the summary of King Jeroboam. From From human standards, he seemed to have an incredibly successful reign. He reigned for 41 years, the longest king in the northern tribe, longest reigning king. He seemed to bring about some economic stability, political stability, security to a land that was fraught with insecurity. But in God's eyes, there was not much to say about Jeroboam II. What we do read is he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam I who had made Israel to sin by raising those calves. What he was able to accomplish, we read from 2 Kings 14, was only on account of the Lord allowing it and permitting it because the Lord had granted him success, a measure of success, because the Lord himself was tremendously patient with his people. This patience is especially seen through the messages of the three prophets of his day. We could just remember, reflect back on the past couple of weeks as we've considered a few a series of, or some sermons from the book of Hosea. We hear the Lord coming again and again, wooing his people, luring them back through the prophet Hosea to, to be a people of God 
who were living like they were not. The message of the prophets to Jeroboam II, to Israel as a whole, to the surrounding nations, and to us by extension of of us having received this word of the Lord, is that the Lord sees his people. He sees us in our daily lives. He sees us going about our daily tasks, going to work, driving to work, driving home, our interactions with the people that we encounter on a daily basis. He sees you children as you're picking up your studies at school. He sees you as you diligently apply yourselves and use the gifts and talents well, or he sees you whether you're misbehaving. He saw He saw his people living in rebellion. He saw the ungodly nations of the world. And we see this in our in our text in 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 Second Kings chapter fourteen and verse twenty six. We read these words The Lord for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. The Lord was intimately aware of the enemies that were encroaching on the northern tribes. He saw the oppression of Syria as they were, as they were taking land, conquering cities, occupying cities of Judah and Israel. He saw the despair and the hopelessness that existed among his people. But he also saw their sin, their continued sin. He saw their rebellion. He saw them continue in their persistent worship of those calves that Jeroboam the first had set up. He saw them persist in their dependence on foreign nations to help them in various ways. He saw that they were a people who were most miserable. Because they should have known better. For they had been a people who had been the recipients of blessing after blessing, after covenant promise after covenant promise, having received the very word of God that instructed them and guided them and should have led them in how to worship him rightly. They had been the recipients of many past deliverances in their times of need. And yet, they continued, they persisted in their rebellion. And yet, the Lord saw them. He saw them. But the Lord not only saw Israel in her bitter affliction, but he was also fully aware of the surrounding nations. And from our text in Jonah chapter 1, he was fully aware of this capital city of Assyria, the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital. It was known for its tremendous size, its influence. It was an incredibly well-fortified, populous city. But she was also known for her wickedness. Jonah 1 verse 2 tells us, Their wickedness has come up before me, says the Lord. It was a city that was given over to pride on account of her greatness, on account of her military power, on account of her luxury. It was a city that 
lived in extravagance and debauchery and wastefulness. It was a city that was filled with violence and lies and robbery. It was, and the, the sin of the city, like a stench, rose up before the Lord. Their wickedness is come up before me. Now one might expect, like Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities at the time of Abraham, for judgment to just be rained down on the city. For we know that no sin can enter into the presence of God. Nineveh deserved just judgment. But as we look at Nineveh, as we look at Israel, we recognize that our God who saw them in their challenges and their afflictions is a God who continues to see us because he has not changed. He sees the world that we live in. He sees the afflictions of his people today. He's aware of the attacks of the evil one uh, come up against the, the people of God He sees them being ridiculed for standing up for his name. He sees the the temptations that come the way towards the people of God. He sees our our the the people of God striving with their old the old man. He sees Satan raising up lies against the people of God, attempting to lead them astray. He sees the temptations in this world to question who we really are in terms of our identity as male or female. He sees the temptation to measure success in terms of the world's definition of success. He sees the temptation to be conformed to the world around us. He sees the temptation that you could be or can be or try to be in control of your life. He sees the temptation as we are bombarded with sin on every side to begin to minimize sin and saying it's okay. It's not that bad. He sees when his covenant people fall into sin. Whether it's private, only known to yourself, or whether it's public, He sees when we commit spiritual adultery, when we serve other gods, or we serve the one true God in a way that is not pleasing to him. But he also sees the wickedness of this world. He sees the unbelieving population around us here in Grand Rapids. He sees the direct, blatant opposition against him. But he's also aware of those who are, as Jonah is going to, as we're going to read at the end of chapter 4 in Jonah, who cannot discern their left hand from their right hand. For all they know is sin. All they know is a life of given over to selfishness. And the Lord sees. He sees what's going on here this morning. He sees what's going on in the community and the neighborhood around us. He understands. But this isn't the only, these aren't the only two things that the Lord took notice of in our text. 
We go back to 2 Kings 14. We know at the end of verse 26 that the, the Lord saw that there was no helper for Israel. There was no helper for Israel. There was none to deliver. No one to deliver them from the affliction. No one from within their ranks. No one from without. If help was going to come, it was going to come through the Lord himself. This was what the Lord had promised again and again. Isn't this what Solomon prayed for when when he dedicated the temple? He says, as Solomon prayed, he said, When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall turn again to thee, and confess thy name, and pray, and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy people. The Lord was going to be the one who was going to bring deliverance. It was going to come from no one else. Israel, Judah, the nations around them, this nation that we live in ourselves are not going to contribute an iota to our salvation. There is no help for man. And if this is true for the people of God, of Israel, who are his covenant people, How much more true was it for a city like Nineveh? This wicked place that couldn't discern from her left and her right hand. They too needed a helper, a savior. And the fact that we have the prophecy of Jonah in the scriptures to us points that that the Lord was going to do something with the the foreign nations of the world, those who were not a people. He was going to make a people. Help was coming, even for the most rebellious, for the greatest of sinners. And this help was going to come in the form of a servant who was going to be sent. God in his mercy sends a messenger to deliver a message of warning, but a message of hope to both Israel and Nineveh. And this messenger was going to be Jonah. 2 Kings 14 verse 25 says that Israel was delivered according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah. Jonah, a servant of the Lord, a prophet. The, the title of servant in the Old Testament in particular is a technical term. It's used throughout the Old Testament to, to describe someone who has been set apart by the Lord for a very particular task. Jonah was being set apart. Set apart to be, you could translate it to be a slave or a bondservant. This is how Paul refers to himself as well in the New Testament. Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah was being set apart from, from regular daily life to, to be God's messenger. He wasn't called to bring his own message. 
but he was called to bring the message of the Lord God of Israel. In this case, in light of this, the messenger was to represent his sender well. This calling on, on Jonah, that Jonah had to be, to be sent to Israel and to the surrounding nations was a, a privileged position. But it was a position that came with incredible, incredible responsibility. It was privileged in the sense that the Lord was going to, through this man and through the other prophets, was going to reveal himself and what he was doing with the people of God. It is, it's, as, as it were, they were standing in the very presence of God. They were to understand who he was and what he was going to be doing. Sinclair Ferguson says, that the messenger felt the pressure of his will, God's will, upon their spirits as he revealed to them what he was going to do with his people. And Jonah, the servant of the Lord, knew and understand, understood the character of his God. At the end of the book of Jonah, in chapter 4, verse 2, we read... This is Jonah's confession about his God. He says, I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful one, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repents thee of the evil. Jonah knew, and Jonah believed that God was, would keep his word, was true to his word. And so as, as a servant, he was called to exemplify this to the people that he was called to deliver the message to. And in that sense, it's a most responsible calling, a calling with a tremendous responsibility. He was called to declare the full counsel of God without wavering, regardless of who he was sent to, regardless of how the people would respond He was to represent God in the fullness of his character. And as we read in 2 Kings 14, Jonah faithfully delivered the word of God. But in Jonah we read that he ran. And when he did go, eventually, he showed no compassion on the people of Nineveh. Dear congregation, your earthly prophets will fail. They're human beings, they're sinners, like each of us are. The servants of God will fail. Your pastors are still human beings, they will fail. Your leaders in this church community are mere human beings, called by the Lord, yes, but they will fail you. And dear congregation, you will fail. We're we're sinners to the core. And from the grace of God, we will continue to sin. And so we look for one who is perfect. We look for one who is better than, than us, but yet one we're called to represent and look to. And so we look for the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Isaiah describes as a servant. 
It actually refers to him as the suffering servant. The Lord himself refers to this servant as my servant. This perfect servant. The one who represented his father perfectly is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He came as his father sent him into this world. He came willingly and he laid aside his glory. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he, he lived here for 33 years. He, he, he pursued, he went to the cross willingly. He died so that sinners could be saved. He came with a message of hope to a world that was in darkness. Jonah was a servant of the Lord, but Jesus is the servant par excellence, for he never once said no to what his father called him to. He never once turned and ran the other way He came willingly. And because of this, there is a way back into his presence for sinful people like each of us. There is a Savior. There is a helper for people in their troubles and their afflictions. And this is the message that Jonah the servant of the Lord, had the tremendous privilege of bringing on two different occasions that we are aware of. On two occasions, Jonah had the opportunity and the privilege of bringing a message to to a people who had no helper, no no conscious understanding of where their deliverance was going to come from. The first is recorded for us in 2 Kings 14 where he was called to bring a message, a prophecy, to his own people. A message that was filled with, with hope, demonstrating, it, but also a message that came to pass, demonstrating that Jonah was a true prophet of the Lord. The second opportunity that Jonah had was in Jonah 1 and later in Jonah 3, where Jonah was called to deliver a message of judgment to the great city of Nineveh. No easy task. Incredibly daunting. You place yourself in Jonah's shoes, called to go to this foreign city to deliver a message of judgment. He, an Israelite, called to bring a message of your city's going to be destroyed and 40 days, called to go to this Gentile nation known for its sin and cruelty, a nation that was an enemy of the people of God. For Jonah, the first message was a message that there would have been no doubt a delight to bring, for it was to his own people. And it was a message of great hope that the Lord would deliver his afflicted people No doubt yet, tremendously aware of the false worship that was going on that would have caused Jonah to mourn over his people's sins. But he knew, he knew that his God was one who was gracious, who was compassionate, who was merciful, who was slow to anger, who was of great kindness. He knew that his Lord was a covenant-keeping God 
And he was now called to bring a message that despite the people's sins, a message that made the people aware that God was aware of their situation and that he would bring a helper for a people, that their name would not be blotted out. And as the Lord came to his afflicted people and assured them through his prophet, his servant, he would not, he said he would not blot their name out, but he would give them a deliverer, a most unlikely deliverer, Jeroboam the second the king that was doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Jeroboam was given a measure of success as he took back the cities of Damascus and Hamath. It was unmerited, free, sovereign grace deliverance. It was a deliverance that had nothing to do with Jonah, had nothing to do with Jeroboam, his wisdom, his power, his military strength and strength strategizing skills, but it had everything, everything to do with the Lord, the one who had prophesied that this deliverance would come. No doubt this was a message that Jonah delighted to bring. It was a, it was a, a desire to bring it because he was confident that the Lord, his God, his caring and compassionate God would fulfill his word to his covenant people. And he saw the Lord's fruit on his work. He saw his people being relieved from their affliction. But now Jonah, as he's directed to bring a message to the city of Nineveh, asked to deliver a message to the enemies of Israel, to this godless Gentile land, He's called to cry against it for the, for the wickedness the Lord says has come up before me. We're going to consider the, the message that Jonah brings in future weeks, but we want to take note of Jonah's response. Take note of the response of the servant of the Lord the one who knew the character of God. And instead of reading of a willingness to follow the Lord, we read of direct opposition. We read of blatant disobedience. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the God. Jonah ran away, as it were, trying to get away from the Lord and from his call to him. And the question is, why? Why would Jonah do this? He had witnessed already the the Lord's incredible compassion being demonstrated to Israel. When there was none to save, the Lord reached down and saved them. And because Jonah knew his God was a merciful and gracious God, Jonah knew and understood the Lord's character. He knew and understood the promises that pointed to a place of the Gentile nations. He also knew that if Israel continued to persist in her sins, despite the Lord's deliverances, which, which he no doubt continued to see after the Lord had delivered them, He knew 
passages like Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. As a prophet of the Lord, he knew his scriptures. We'll see that in particularly in, in Jonah chapter 2. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21 reads, They, referring to Israel, have moved me, it's referring to God, to jealousy, with which is, with that which is not a God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And then the Lord says this, And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Jonah understood that as his covenant people, as the covenant people of Israel continued to rebel against the Lord, that the Lord was going to turn with his mercy and compassion to the Gentile world to provoke his people to jealousy. Hugh Martin, commenting on this passage in light of the book of Jonah, says, They, that's the people of Israel, had insulted the true God by preferring idols to him. The terms of his covenant with them were, I will be a God to you, and ye shall be to me a people. The Gentiles were not a people. The idols were not God. They have moved me to jealousy by that which is not God, and I will move them to jealousy with those who are not a people. And so Jonah knew, as the Lord was calling him to Nineveh, that God, because he is merciful and gracious, even though he had displayed that to Israel, but because they continued and persisted in their ways of sin, the Lord was rebuking Israel, provoking them to jealousy. Jonah knew and understood this. And he feared the Lord would show mercy and compassion on this city, this nation, that was in desperate need of a Savior. It's a solemn warning to us, ourselves. If we take for granted all that the God has given to us, has blessed us with, if we live in a way that buys into this world's thinking, that seeks to be fulfilled with what the world sees as great purposes and meanings and value for life, if we esteem things of this world higher than we esteem him and serve him and love him, our God may well, like he did with Israel, seek another people provoking us to jealousy. It's a challenging message. It's a message we don't want to hear. And friends, we can be a people who, who have our doctrines lined up in a row. We can do the right things. We can say the right things. We can check all the boxes. And yet miss the heart of the matter. Jonah feared that this nation would repent, that his God, who is rich in mercy, would show mercy and compassion on them. Jonah feared this. This is something he did not want to happen. And why? 
Well, Jonah understood that the Assyrian people were people that were part of God's plans. They were to be used by the Lord to bring judgment on Israel. And Jonah knew this. He knew that the Lord would use them to bring his people into great affliction. His contemporary Hosea prophesied it explicitly. In Hosea 9, verse 3, we read, They, Israel, shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And in chapter 10, verse 6, we read that speaks of the Assyrians spoiling the land, taking the calves that Jeroboam had set up. In chapter 11, verse 11, we read, of a glimmer of hope that there would be a return from the land of Assyria. Nineveh was a feared enemy of the people of Israel. And Jonah believed that the Lord would show mercy on them when they heeded the call to repent, that he would heal them as a people. And this would mean he would be the one who had prophesied, who had prophesied to this foreign land, calling them to repentance, and they would not be destroyed. He would be the one who would be seen by his nation, and maybe he feared his reputation among the the people of Israel as the prophet who was a means to save Nineveh. Maybe he was attempting to save his own reputation as he fled. We don't know explicitly. But he fled. He disobeyed the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we can be like Jonah in so many different ways. As a congregation, we've been blessed with incredible instruction and teaching in the Word of God. We have a, an understanding of the scriptures. We know who he is in our minds. We trust in our hearts. But does it hinder us from doing what the Lord calls us to do? Maybe we hesitate to be that bright witness to those around us in a, in a watching world to our neighbors, our employees, employers, our communities. Maybe, like Jonah, we know that our God is a compassionate and gracious God. And inviting others into our church, speaking to them the gospel, calling them to repentance, will not only change them, but we will change as well. Are we too comfortable, too unwilling to unwilling to heed God's call to be a bright light in a in a watching world? Will it cause us to become busy in the things of the Lord? As we speak into the lives of others, things could get messy. Our community will change. 
We may run into very challenging, daunting situations that will consume a lot of time. Are we too comfortable with the status quo? People who are less familiar with the scriptures as they come in will, and the Lord's working in their lives will want to know about the scriptures, will want to feed on the scripture, will desire to understand the scriptures and to know why we do what we do. Are we like Jonah trying to preserve something that we shouldn't be? Our reputations, our status, our, our relationships, our identity, our lifestyle. What am I? What are we failing to do that God calls us to do? We live in a world. We live in a world, in a state, in a city, in a nation that is in desperate need of a helper. A nation that is steeped in sin. Whose wickedness rises up into the very presence of the Lord. We live among a people who cannot discern their left hand from their right hand. Who are without help and without a savior. And our Lord calls us as his people to be a light on a hill. To be salt in the earth. We're not to hide our light under a bushel or to be the means by which the Lord speaks into a watching world in need of a Savior. For the Lord our God is a compassionate, is a compassionate and a gracious God who sees his struggling people, who sees the sins, the hopelessness that rises up. And he calls us to be his servants to be his willing servants, to be the means of proclaiming a glorious message that there is a Savior for sinners like each and every one of us. A Savior who is willing to save to the uttermost all who turn to him in repentance and faith. And we hope to consider that in further detail as we work our way through the book of Jonah. But will we be like Jonah? Speaking to our people willingly but hesitantly to a watching world? Or will we heed God's call to be that bright light to those around us? Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we feel like Jonah so many times, hesitant, disobedient, unwilling. And Lord, forgive us of our sins. Wash them in the blood of Christ. Lord, help us to be a people who live in a way that is pleasing to Thee. Lord, being faithful to the tasks and callings that we are called to. 
Lord, in our own ways, speaking truth into the hearts and lives of those around us. Father, we pray for thy grace and mercy to be poured out upon us. Lord, we are in need of that grace and mercy. We are in need of help, for there is no help in us. But there is help in that great servant, the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly came into this dark world, who was ridiculed, who was scoffed, who was beaten, who was placed on a cross so that he could save such as we are. Do go before us as we go into this week, into the rest of our of this day of worship. Bless the catechism classes. Bless the opening. Help Pastor Dietert lead that. Bless the confession class and all that takes place in the rest of this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.